During the Second World War, pilots encountered strange phenomena they called Foo Fighters. Were these simply experimental enemy aircraft, or something altogether more bizarre? Join myself and Neil as we explore this fascinating subject from history. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Welcome, listeners, to Aliens Explored. Uh, With me, Stu Jackson. And me, Neil Kelly. This week we will be discussing, uh, and you'll like this one, Neil, as a military intelligence uh, <laughs> person. Uh, we're discussing the Foo Fighters from World War II. Now, to be fair, you weren't military intelligence in World War Two, were you? Um, I, I well, you know that that's a moot point actually. That depends on when you decide World War Two ended. You know, if World War Two was all about where well, we went to war because the Nazis invaded, or the Nazis and the Soviet Union jointly invaded Poland, that was the um, Cassus Belli, that was the reason we went to war. Well, then, yeah, that war hadn't ended by the time I was in the military in Germany. It didn't that didn't end till 1989 or 90? So, you know, I think I think they generally recognise, or at least for us laymen, end of World War Two was 47. Am I saying that right? 45. 45. No. 45. 45. V, v Day, 8th of May, 1945. That's when we declared victory 45. in Europe. Um, that's when we declared victory. So. That's when we declared victory. Whether we were victorious or not, we declared. <laughs> we declared so. that we had been victorious in Europe. Um, it, it's funny, going to France, um, going to the West Coast, there's a, a little town called uh, mouilleron en parade which is a, it's a village, basically, a ghost town, but it's significant because it's the birthplace of the Prime Minister, the French Prime Minister during the First World War, a, a guy called Clemenceau, and another guy whose name I can't remember, I should have researched this, who was um, a hero of the Second World War. He, um, he, was in the, he was in the resistance, and then he escaped. He joined the Free French, and he fought for the liberation of France. And then after the war, he was... Um, he was made supreme commander of French forces in the Far East. So he basically oversaw the Vietnam or the Andochine debacle um, in which his son, a lieutenant, was killed. Um, he's the only guy from that village who was killed during the French um, invasion in World War Two. But there's, there's a monument there, the monument to the two, the, les, les deux victoires, the two victories. 
victories in the First and Second World War. And I think, well, that's a bit rich, the French declaring a victory in both those wars, but actually probably we, we do the same, really. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and as I've got a French partner and you're about to go to France, we ought to be careful what we say. <laughs> <laughs> that, that we have no more right to declare a victory than, than the French have, really. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so um, so World War Two. the reason I mentioned World War Two, of course, is uh, where this, this term Foo Fighters came mm. from. Now, now to give a little bit of um, sort of peek backstage for our listeners, so, so the way we work these episodes is we'll record an episode, uh, or we'll record two episodes together, and then I'll tell Neil what our next two episodes are going to be about, and then... We'll each go away for a week and we'll do lots and lots of research yeah. uh, about those subjects. But when I said to you that we were going to be talking about Foo Fighters, Neil, mm. um, was that a, a phrase you were already familiar with? Um, yes, it was. Background? Although when I, tried to, when I tried to look it up online, of course, it's all about the American grunge band. Yes. So you have to you have to specify World War Two Foo Fighters. But yes, I had heard the term and I knew that was where the band took their name from. Okay, so so before we get into kind of the, what we've what we've got on research, um, what did you know, or what was your impression about Foo Fighters, having having heard the term prior to? Prior to discussions in depth about UFOs, um, all I'd heard was some some reports that Allied pilots um, during the Second World War, I, I said, you know, in, in the latter stages of the Second World War, although apparently it, it was going on much earlier, um, had seen these these strange lights in the sky. They were being trailed by these lights, um, which. In some cases, terrified them because they, you know, you're you're a, you're a, a pilot going over enemy territory, especially if you're a bomber command, where you know your chances of survival are pretty slim, um, and suddenly you see something in the sky you can't identify. Well, that's pretty terrifying, um, and it was, of course, assumed to be a Nazi secret weapon. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's what I'd learned about the Foo Fighters. They they had been they had spotted these these. These entities in the sky, which had which had trailed them, which had seemed to fly, to 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 follow them in the sky, to sometimes follow an erratic path, um, that they didn't engage any Allied planes, they didn't try and attack them. Um, Allied plan, planes weren't capable of attacking them because they could move too fast; they were far too manoeuvrable, and at a given moment they would just shoot off up into the heavens and and be gone. So that's what I knew about Foo Fighters. See, right, so I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm asking a bit of a leading question in, in asking mm. you this because I think Foo Fighters is an example of society's collective, I'm going to use big words now, cognitive dissonance, um, mm. which cognitive dissonance, uh, for those listeners who aren't familiar with it, is when a person, or, or in this case a society, believes two conflicting or contradicting pieces of information so you get many many people who are just totally oh yeah yeah ufos it's a load of nonsense yeah 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 the idea of flying saucers no 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 it's rubbish it's rubbish um and then you talk about the foo fighters and it's like oh yeah well i know these ufos and flying saucers followed these airplanes it's like 
well, how Easy. can you accept yeah. both? So, so I was leading you down a bit of a dark alley with yeah. that one. Well, I mean, food fighters, I mean, the etymology of the term, um, the nonsense word foo emerged in popular culture during the early 1930s, first being used by mm. cartoonist Bill Holman, who peppered his Smoky Stover fireman cartoon strips, who apparently his, his catchphrase was, where there's foo, there's fire. Doesn't mean anything. I don't understand no, what he means, but apparently the phrase caught on. So when they saw these these strange lights in the sky, they decided to call them Foo Fighters. Of course, this was before um, the term flying saucer came into being, which was in about 1947, I think, an encounter with a, mm. a US pilot over Roswell. Um, he described a flying saucer. And then from the early 50s onwards, they started to talk about UFOs as opposed to flying saucers. Well, the, the etymology of uh, flying saucer was actually a pilot describing the way these flying discs, and he called them flying discs, moved, mm. was like if you were to skip a saucer across water. Mm. Um, that's where flying, the term flying yeah. saucers comes from. Okay. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, not not but yeah, spin it on the end of a pole. Right. So, no, 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 nothing <laughs> yeah. like that. It wasn't, the flying saucer wasn't to describe its shape, it was actually to describe its movement, but mm. it's since come into the vernacular. So it's a wobbly movement. It, and... Sort of a wobbly, yeah, sort of, um, you know where you skim a stone across mm. water? It, that was the uh, the movement he was he was trying to describe. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so it might, might have been called skimming saucers. Instead of flying hmm. saucers. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, so now you've had the opportunity, obviously, to do a bit more research into it. What what What's your take on... Well, initially on I thought, well, yeah, the, the Nazis were very well advanced in their, in their weapon systems. They developed, I mean, they, they had... I mean, if you look at Wikipedia, what the Nazis called the the, the Wunderwaffe, or what the Hitler called the Wunderwaffe, the wonder weapons, especially after the catastrophe of Stalingrad, um, he believed you know, when it became apparent that um, the thousand-year Reich wasn't likely to last a thousand days, um, he put his faith in these Wunderwaffe, these wonder weapons, secret weapons that would turn the tide of the war, and. Their development was quite impressive. From when you think from a war that started with cavalry charges on horseback and and biplanes, that suddenly you've got you've got jet planes, rocket planes, drones, and ballistic missiles towards the end of the war. Then the Nazis were far mm. more advanced than the Allies in in the development of those. So there were things in the sky that that pilots hadn't seen before. Although I mean, apparently when pilots first saw the V1 doodlebugs, the, the flying bombs. Um, the, the pilot who first saw one thought it was a German plane that had already been shot down because of the the amount of what he saw as smoke coming out the back of it. Yeah. And didn't realise it was actually a rocket-powered drone on its way to its target. Um, obviously, with the ballistic missiles, they also, the, the Germans developed... Um, I mean, they had all sorts of jet planes, rocket planes, turbojets, ramjets. I'm talking like I know the difference between the two. But um, they developed um, the jet fighter bomber, the Messerschmitt 262, um, which was quite impressive in combat. It was the only jet aircraft in combat during the Second World War. Um, Britain did develop the, um, the Gloucester Meteor. 
but wouldn't fly it over enemy territory. It was used for defending the home shores only, for fear that it would fall into enemy hands, even though the enemy already had something as as. I mean, if you see a Messerschmitt Me two six two, it looks like a modern jet fighter bomber. You wouldn't be surprised mm. to see something like that in the twenty first century. Um, it was it could fly a hundred miles an hour faster than anything the Allies had. Um, I don't think there's any record of one ever being shot down. They were used as bombers. They 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 carried out a bombing raid on Antwerp without losing a single plane, which you know, in those days of the war was kind of unheard of. And they also had a rocket plane, which does look odd. It was a sort of stubby little thing, the Messerschmitt 163 Comet, spelt with a K. Um, this was an interceptor that could be launched and fly to a great height. I think it could reach speeds of a thousand kilometers per hour pretty much faster than anything the Allies had. And basically the thing would be shot straight up into um, enemy, well, Allied bomber formations to shoot them down. It was an extremely dangerous plane to fly. It was, it was uh, powered by liquid rocket fuel. Um, but as I say, the, the, the Nazis had these things in the sky. Yes. As well as ballistic missiles. They, they did have some weird and wonderful things. And in fact, in a couple of episodes' time, mm. uh, we will be discussing the potential origin of some of the stranger things that the Nazis flew in World War Two. So listen mm. for that coming up. Um, but, but back on with the, the Foo Fighters, though. So I can understand how Allied pilots would automatically go in their heads to... Okay, it's some sort of Nazi secret weapon, but mm. but we can look back historically, you know, nearly 80 years later, and we know what was around. We know technologically what we can do today mm. that doesn't match what these things could do. Mm. So we're talking about incredibly fast-moving, round-glowing objects. Now, none of those things that you've just uh, listed there would would meet the description of a round glowing object. Mm. Yes, some of them are way faster, much, much faster than our allied planes, mm. but they don't have the manoeuvrability to sort of circle them the way these Foo Fighters did. Um, these Foo Fighters... Now, nowadays we've become familiar with stealth technology, but of course stealth technology, if it existed at all back then was in its absolute infancy. Um, and I'm these not sure that it not appear on radar. Yeah, I'm not sure that well, it exists. Well, no, exactly. Well, well I, again, that's 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 something we'll be coming on to uh, mm. in a couple of episodes, uh, so we don't want too many spoilers. But, but, but these Foo Fighters certainly didn't appear on radar. Mm. So you've got um, <sighs> these lights... Balls of light that are effectively playing with allied planes. Mm, but not attacking them. That's a crucially not, not attacking, attacking them, them. Which a Nazi secret weapon like would Nazi do. Nazi technology? Well, you'd think so. Otherwise, what's the point of it? <laughs> well, the, I, I did read about you know, Nazi UFOs that they had developed some kind of um, flying saucer uh, or a, a disc shaped a non-rotating disc craft, disc-shaped craft. Um, there was... Oh, a, is that the Han Hanabu? Uh, is it Hanabu um, what um, they? What's it called? The, um, this was a non-rotating disc developed, by, developed at Breslau by a V2 rocket engineer, Richard Meter, which was captured by the Soviets, while Meter fled to the US via France and ended up working for Avro, 
Now, in, in the 1950s, Avro developed um, Avro Canada in 1953, announced it was developing the VZ9 AV Avro car, which was a circular jet aircraft with an estimated speed of 1,500 miles per hour, 2,400 kilometers per hour. German engineer Georg Klein claimed that such designs had been developed during the Nazi era. Klein identified two types of supposed Nazi flying discs. Now, also when you're talking about the Nazi flying discs, you're also talking about how um, the, the Nazis had made contact with extra, extraterrestrials. They used these to fly down to the Antarctic and apparently the, the Nazis believed in a hollow earth. So they're living in this hollow earth underneath Antarctica. That, that's, this, that's a whole other can of worms we're opening there. But the it idea really the, the idea of a saucer-shaped or, or um, a disc-shaped craft, well, we don't have those now. We don't, you know, you look at any kind of aeroplane, it's still the same basic shape as the earliest craft. It has, um, it has two wings, it has a tail, and it faces, and it, sh it follows basic laws of, of aerodynamics. Yes. Uh, the, the one I was thinking of was the Honebu, damn you have to forgive my pronunciation, you're the one that speaks German, <laughs> um, Honebu 2, I believe it was called. Um, H A U N E B U. H A U N N E B U. Haunabu. Um, oh yes, I, I saw it somewhere. Haunabu. Haunabu. Yeah. Yes, that's what. But that that never actually really, um, <laughs> pardon the pun, took off. Um, anyway, mm. but also you know what, what you're talking about there is flying saucers now. With the Foo Fighters, we're not talking about flying saucers. We're not talking about disc-shaped craft. We're talking about glowing balls of light. Presumably, all these were seen at night. They wouldn't have seen glowing balls of light in the daytime. I mean, I believe it was a a night, a particular night fighter squadron that someone who it, coined the term um, Foo Fighter. Um, it was it was the four hundred and fifteenth night fighter squadron. Now I've yeah. I've got to believe that they do fly during the day as well. Mm. Um, night fighter squadron is going to be their name, surely. <laughs> I, I couldn't say for certain, but um, but yeah, I, I mean these things are going to be easier to see at night anyway. So uh, so yes, but yeah, in in November forty four, you're absolutely right. Mm. Uh, the crew of a uh, Bristol bow fighter. Uh, in the 415th um, spotted probably the most famous Foo Fighter experience uh, where they spotted eight well they reckon about 8 to 10 mm. um, bright orange lights flying off the left wing um, again no radar um, they turned towards the lights and then the lights disappeared then mm. they reappeared further away and this, mm. this this sort of continued this almost cat and mouse game where they mm. would turn towards the lights, the lights would disappear, then they'd reappear somewhere else. They'd turn towards them to investigate them again, and then they'd disappear again. And but whilst they're there, they're they're incredibly manoeuvrable. They're travelling at high speed. That's that's not Nazi technology. It's not Nazi technology. No. Well, it, it's. I mean, they have but it's been also displaying intelligence. 
it's an intelligent reaction. Okay, yeah. every time you veer towards me, I'm going to disappear and I'm going to reappear somewhere else. Mm. That that is a, an intelligent reaction. Yeah, that's not a natural phenomenon. And and you know these are experienced um, pilots and and crew. Mm. You know they, they will. I be mean the, lo- the last with- thing I say about sorry. So the, the the last thing I say about the Nazis wanting to test a secret weapon was, for instance, if the Allies, if the Americans or the Russians or the British wanted to test a secret aerial weapon, they had space to do it outside the combat zone. The Americans could test something mm. over the Nevada desert. The Russians could test something over Siberia. Even the Brits could test something over Scotland or Ireland. But the, the Germans, all their airspace was in the war zone. So anything they put up in the sky is going to likely encounter enemy aircraft. So, um, okay, if but, they were but testing, if they were, if, I was saying, if, if they were testing is, something, that's the only place they've got to test it. <laughs> okay, um, but if this is a Nazi secret weapon, you know, why do we not know about these glowing balls of light that fly around now? Hmm. 80 years later. Why can we not recreate that technology? Well, there have been a lot of discussions over the discrepancy between what the pilots thought they saw and what they actually saw. Um, There's a a Dr. Edgar Vinacker, who was the prime flight psychologist on the project, um, summarised the need for a cohesive and systemic outline of the epidemiology of aviators vertigo as he described it pilots do not have sufficient information about phenomena of disorientation and as a corollary are given considerable disorganized incomplete and inaccurate information um, largely dependent on their own experience um, which they will supplement with um, stories they've heard from other pilots so it's it's largely anecdotal evidence being woven into a kind of story that that agrees and one of the things um the doctor dr uh, vinegar says about pilots is since aviators are not skilled observers of human behavior they usually have only the vaguest understanding of their own feelings like other naive persons therefore they have simply adopted a term to cover a multitude of otherwise inexplicable events that is that the evidence is anecdotal and the pilots have maybe discussed it amongst themselves and have come up with this thing that they all agreed that they saw. Okay. But there's still, in in those cases, there still has to be a trigger event. Mm. There has to be a collective event. They, they all have to have seen something. And all right, you know, I, I, can, I can fully accept um, that the details can get swayed in discussion and debate and, and people mm. misremembering or or remembering things under prompt. Absolutely. But they all had to have seen something that wasn't easily explainable. Now, were planes fitted with radar by the later stages of the war? I know that there were German night fighters that had radar. Um I don't I don't believe uh 
I, I don't believe this particular one was fitted with radar, no. But, so all, all they've uh, got is a visual. That, and, and, of course, these pilots are going to be highly attuned, aren't they? They're flying into enemy territory. Um, they're quite likely to die. They're quite likely to be shot down by flak or by an enemy fighter. Um, sorry, um, I stand corrected. No, there was airborne radar um, that didn't register anything, nor ground control didn't register anything either. Mm. Uh, so no, in in the case of the Bristol Bowfighter crew in in nineteen forty four, uh, yes, it appears they did have radar. Hmm. Uh, looking at the evidence, but it didn't so, show anything. Yeah. Didn't show anything. Um, so yeah, I, so so the the kind of thing that you're describing there might affect the number of lights. So let's mm. say one person saw four lights, another person goes and says, "I, do you know what? I'm absolutely certain there were six. You mm. think, oh, now did I? Now could I have missed? Yeah, because maybe. Oh, now two of them did look a bit bigger, so maybe two were behind those mm. two. So yeah, yeah, all right, I can see that there were six, and they changed their story and they changed their recollection of the story accordingly. Mm. That might apply to the number of them. It might apply to the color of them. It might apply to the size of them. Um, it might even apply to the manoeuvrability, but something as fundamental as there is a light that we can't explain mm. has to has to predominantly be there. If there was more, let let's say, for example, it was the uh, tail flame from a rocket. I don't know mm. what the correct term would be um, that they were actually seeing. But somebody else would have seen the rocket, even if someone else only saw the tail flame. So they would say, oh, actually, there was a rocket at the front. Oh, do you know what? Now I remember. Yeah, there was a rocket. So they would hmm. they would all collectively have seen the rocket. Yeah. I mean, but a, a rocket... the opposite way... A, a rocket wouldn't have trailed them. A rocket wouldn't have flown erratically. A rocket would have been a tail fire, would have been a light going up into the sky and over up into the stratosphere and over the horizon. The, the fire from a, a V1 would be probably fairly low flying in a straight line. Um, the the tail fire well, from indeed, a, that's yeah from a German jet or rocket plane would be coming to attack them. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> they, that's it. But but what the, the the point I'm making there is that this um, idea of sort of collective rewriting of the story. Oh. Um, yes, I accept that that is very much a psychological phenomenon, but also very very limited. You're talking about fine details that would get um, that would get shared and, and mm. misremembered. Uh, you're not talking about the actual fundamental, like it, them disappearing and then reappearing. Mm. <sighs> yeah, I, I'm I'm struggling with that one. People now, one natural phenomenon that was, that was that. brought up was something called Saint Elmo's fire which is a, oh, yes. a weather phenomenon in which luminous plasma is created by a corona discharge from a sharp or pointed object in a strong electrical field in the atmosphere. Yes. Have you ever seen St. Elmo's fire? No. It's a really bizarre thing. So you'll get... Um, you basically, if, if you're in an area where it exists, you, you'll hold up your hand and you get this blue glow around round your fingers... Mm. That looks like it looks like a form of flame, but you don't feel it or or anything like that. Yeah. Um, 
it's not balls of light. No. What about I've ball lightning? A, would be a better ball explanation. Lightning, yes. Yeah. But ball lightning doesn't <laughs> veer course. It doesn't disappear and reappear every time you head towards it. Um, I, I know plasma um, balls of plasma, which is is effectively what ball lightning is, does move and it can move very very fast. But it it has a tendency just to move in a single direction. It'll appear, move in one direction for a period of time, then disappear. Oh. It doesn't. Again, it doesn't veer course. It doesn't disappear and reappear elsewhere. Oh. Um, I mean, ball lightning is a particular. So I actually know a little bit about this because ball lightning is quite often seen around crop circle formations. Okay. Um, which is a yeah, <laughs> particular yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, again, it's not meeting the. Also, ball lightning is um, it is is white in color, or, or it's a bluish white. Oh. It, it it looks like you would expect electricity to look like. It, it's plasma, but. Um, it's not orange. Hmm. It's not red, as as th- these lights were described. Well, bright orange lights. There were also pilots who who spotted aerial phenomena in the Pacific theatre of operations against the Japanese, but they saw hmm. something that looked a bit different, more like a, a, a large glowing ball. But again, yes. it, was, it was it was aerial phenomena that didn't show up on the radar, couldn't be explained. I th- I think it's reasonable to look at each account on its own merits. Mm. Um, but what what fascinates me most of all, and we're going to talk really generically now about the Foo Fighter. Foo Fighters being the catch-all term in this case, for UFO mm. experience for World War II pilots. Mm. It's the sheer quantity of them. The sheer number of them. Um, you know, it became such a common experience that it was given this name, Foo Fighters. It's, mm. you know, <laughs> to, to, to be given a, a catch-all name like that means it's a very common experience. Yeah, um, and I find that absolutely fascinating. But but was it given a, a common name in in the context of someone says, "Well, I can see some lights off our port side," and and the pilot would just say, "Oh, don't worry about it. It's just Foo Fighters. I, it's just this thing we see every now and then. It's just lights in the sky. It can't. It won't harm us. Ignore it. Even if that's the case, then." If that was a, an isolated incident, then oh. that name would just drop out of usage oh, anyway. Oh, no, I mean, because it was in such common usage that pilots are basically saying, don't worry about it, it's just Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters doesn't mean... I mean, Foo is a nonsense word. Foo Fighters aren't actually going to do anything. It's just the thing we yeah. think we see. So it's, for that to become a thing, then mm. they would say, oh, yeah, it's just Foo Fighters. I mean, yeah. you know, this is... Like I said, when, when they first encountered these, it was terrifying to them. So for it to be such a common occurrence, mm. the pilots are just dismissing it out of hand. Well, it was terrifying for them because they'd seen an unidentified object in the sky over enemy territory where they're quite likely to be attacked, where survival mm. rates are very, very low for these pilots. You know, They're, oh, they're yeah. lucky if they survive a tour of duty. Um 
Yeah, so yeah, anything they can see that they can't identify, that's going to scare the crap out of them. Not because they're thinking, oh, this is something otherworldly, but because this is something we haven't seen before and it's probably going to kill us. Well, yeah, but then for, from that to then become such a common day occurrence that hmm. it's dismissed. Yeah. That, 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 that means it's happening a lot. Yeah, that we've seen this. Amount, we, probably more than has been reported. We, we've seen these things. There are lights in the sky. We can't explain them. They don't. Nothing shows up on the radar, um, and they don't do anything. They they might follow us for a yeah. bit. They might dance around us, but they're not going to do anything. So, and that's the other thing as well. Odd. If it's, it's that easily dismissed, if they become hmm. very blasé about, oh yeah, don't worry, it's food fight. That means that the that, that a hell of a lot of them are going to go unreported. Hmm. as well so how many experiences were there in reality compared to what we actually know about I don't know I imagine they just report it as routine there's a pilot you're going to be reporting everything okay we're on target we're at this location uh, Foo Fighters on the starboard side nothing to worry about <laughs> three of them you know been trailing us for the last 20 minutes would, and now they're would gone would they report it though if it be, if it's that common an experience oh i mean, I mean with the report oh today i saw a cloud that looked like uh you know a pyramid oh yeah <laughs> they wouldn't report that <laughs> not not that but i mean they would report things like well my wings are icing up i'm deploying de-icer um right that okay. sort of thing so all, all the routine stuff um they, they would report anything that seemed like a potential. I mean, it's okay, well, there, there's something on our starboard side. Oh, it's just Foo Fighters. Don't worry about it. Or maybe you've got a new experienced pilot saying, oh, shit, there's something on the left-hand side, or something on our port side. And a more experienced pilot say, oh, yeah, we've seen that before. It's just Foo Fighters. Don't worry. Yeah. See, that, that I don't know, that makes it a smoking gun. Yeah, we, we, so we, don't, we don't know what it is, but it can't harm us. Well, it doesn't it doesn't seem to do any harm. So let's um, let's summarise where we stand then on the subject of Foo Fighters. Um, so I, I remain utterly convinced that these were intelligently controlled. I'm absolutely convinced it was otherworldly because it's technology beyond our capabilities today, and it was eighty years ago, and it was so common and. You know, the fact that it was happening around events in a in a global war, well, that would get the... You know, we, we've said before, you know, I, I can't say that these are extraterrestrials from another planet. I can't say these are time travel. You know, I don't know. All we can say is they're otherworldly. Hmm. But, but a global war to the scale that we were talking, I can definitely imagine that getting a lot of interest from otherworldly visitors. Um, so, yeah, I can see these things following planes and analysing them and seeing what they're up to. Yeah, I'd remain absolutely convinced that these were otherworldly... Um, otherworldly in origin. Hmm. How about yourself? Um, well, I'm thinking... If it was a secret weapon, it's one that hasn't been identified since the war. Um, if it's if it was some kind of natural phenomenon, some kind of um, meteorological phenomenon, well, it it goes a bit beyond what can be described by known 
meteorological phenomenon. So it's a big question mark. I, you know, yeah, otherworldly is a possibility because what does that leave? It's still something we can't explain. So there you have it, listeners. Could it be that we're bringing Neil round to our way of thinking? <laughs> or have we missed something far more mundane and more obvious? Do tweet us and let us know what you think. Um, don't forget to join us next time when we will be discussing the 2006 O'Hare Airport incident. Until then, take care for now. Bye-bye. Aliens Explored is a Fecal Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit us on aliensexplored.com.